Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop, Life Coach. Welcome to episode 30 of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. This week is part two of last week's episode with Marty Davis, a reformed medical doctor from Denver, Colorado. I first met Marty in 2017 in Kerala in India. Uh, we were on the journey to the roots of Ayurveda, which you may have heard me talk about before in a couple of episodes. When I first met Marty, she was there and she and all the people I was travelling with were all studying Ayurveda. I knew that she was a retired doctor. She had just retired and that intrigued me. You know, what was it that made her want to leave that profession behind her? And that stayed on my mind. So that's what last week's episode was all about. Uh, Marty led us through the dot to dots of her contemplating what actually led to that decision and ultimately moving towards something that she's very passionate about delivering in terms of um, healthcare now. In seeking to help people heal and be a part of their own healing journey, Marty's moved on to starting something new. She has her own practice now called Intentional Balance. On her Facebook page, I found her beautifully descriptive words as she's now delivering personalised, balanced, consciousness-based health and healing. So that's what this week's episode is going to be about. So Marty, I was thinking that from what you shared in our pre-podcast comms that knowing that the entire person needs treating for a healing to actually be possible, you started asking yourself if you wanted to be a doctor who brought in the spiritual or a spiritual guide who brought in the physical. And I feel that you know that knowing is about trusting in something, you know, as Steve Jobs quote mentioned last week when we talked about dot to dots. So can you talk to me about where that realisation first originated for you and you know, where have you taken that knowledge over the past three years since we first met? I feel like I've gone more from the spiritual perspective now and talk about medicine. And one of the things that led me to that was the fact that not everybody that comes to a medical doctor for their illness wants to know anything about the emotional, spiritual, mindset, psychological piece of things. But most people that are willing to talk to you about those things, they are willing to um, then, you know, uh, if they do have illness, they do have physical illness that manifests. And so if they're willing to look at the whole picture, the whole person, um, you know, how uh, relationships play a role, how um, thought processes, how childhood traumas, how all of that has had a role in the manifestation of the symptom that they're currently expressing, um, then I've got a lot more tools to work with. Uh, you know, I, I don't just give you a pill. I don't just give you one particular modality. Uh, and I, I really believe, I believe deeply that the energetic piece is where everything starts. And so I've, I've actually moved more into energy medicine. I, I just, I feel like that aspect if, if you can influence that aspect, then you can influence the physical healing that people are looking for. Wow, how much greater an outcome you're going to facilitate by not staying in that space where you're feeling, you know, probably disappointed and that you had to keep skimming the surface and now giving yourself this opportunity to, you know, help people at a far deeper holistic level. You made me think I can really understand how exciting it is for you because it's a little bit similar. Uh, it's obviously a totally different field. But you know, in coaching, I find that sometimes people come just wanting to work on one particular goal, almost you know, in a skim the surface type of way. And I believe unless they do the deep foundational work up front first or have done that already, they need to 
get down beneath the surface because otherwise you've got a really weak base to move forward from and you know your goals end up just falling off the path and I had one client in particular she wanted something just for a business at the surface level and then after she gained trust in the process she asked for something different you know she chose to do the deep dive in all areas of her personal life and we gently and patiently moved forward with that and it's taken you know it's been quite some months that we've worked together but it allowed her to unfurl a much bigger brighter future for herself and her business and that that's interesting because as you started that story i was thinking that's why i decided to approach it more from the energetic spiritual piece because those folks are willing to go to the 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 more concrete stuff whereas the people that are solely based on that material don't want to go into that woo woo stuff right but your your approach to her um, and your patience and your you know allowing that her to let it unfold as it did brought her right where you needed her to be anyway. So I just wasn't I wasn't sure I wanted to to be that patient because I really believed that the energetic piece was so critical. Um, but patience would help me influence more people. I know if I was there for them as their medical and then allowing them to you know to reveal it to their themselves you know um but i know dr uh, dr suhas when we were at um chopra center um he's one of the ayurvedic docs and he he would always say that that you know the latin for doctor is to educate to teach um and i i i love that because you know if you can teach someone how to take care of themselves or you know what to watch for how to become aware of what's going on in their own body then they can heal themselves the body is miraculous that way i mean that's the if you think about it when we tell somebody you have this broken bone and you're going to be in a cast for 6 weeks and then it's going to be healed it heals when we tell somebody you have this cancer that is not going to heal they don't heal and so how much of their healing is based upon a belief system that we have all um, bought into. This cut is going to heal. I'm going to be fine. This broken bone is going to heal. I'm going to be fine. But, you know, this fear of this cancer that doesn't heal, how does that influence my healing? And, and so I've really enjoyed trying to educate people that, you know, just because somebody says this is your diagnosis, but don't let anybody tell you what your prognosis is. That's what you get to decide. Yes, yes, I love that, that it's about teaching and educating. But I can't see that your regular everyday GP or a specialist even, let alone an ER doctor, gets much of a chance to do that. It must be very frustrating, you know, to be able to go to that next level of taking that time with each and every patient when you're under the pump. Yeah, there's just no time. You know, if you're if you're seeing a if you're seeing a patient every seven minutes, you don't have any time to number one hear what is actually going on with them, and then number two, dive deep enough to make a difference and to you know to tell them. So, and we're so aware that the opposite to fear is having awareness. You know, if you could teach and educate more, wouldn't the chance of people getting caught up in the fear, which actually may well be the thing that does eventually make them become sick, decrease enormously? Well, and I feel like that's what's happening with COVID to some degree, you know, is is the news. Of course, it changes every day, but, you know, the news is so bad about how high mortality rate is and so forth. And and I just, you know, I think they're just scaring people. And 
we all, we, science definitely knows now that when you're under stress and when you're under fear and the hormones of fear, or the chemicals of fear, your immune system is worse. And, and I mean, we know that from our testing and our studies. So if we're going to scare the whole world with this diagnosis and this, um, this disease, this illness, you know, we're going to reduce everybody's immune function and we're going to have more of what we're predicting we're going to have. We're going to have more mortalities, more illness, more so forth. Um, and I just, I feel like we do that a lot in medicine. We just scare people. And you're talking from the US too, so you know and have felt a lot more what's happening there, not just talking about COVID, but the fast, sorry, the past four years mess of politics and all the social issues, you know, impacting people on so many levels. Oh, I, I just think, um, I mean, people are on, on such edge. I mean, not only with the political and then you have the medical issues, but then we have our social injustices that are playing out. I just, I feel like it's, the collective consciousness, I guess, of our country, which has got a lot of things to heal. It's like bringing it to the surface. It's like, well, you, you better work with it this time. You know, you brushed over it in the 60s. <laughs> and then we made these laws or whatever that, that said things were equal, but they never were. And so, you know, now we're going to make you deal with it, you know. And I, I just feel like, and I'm not a very political activist or anything, but I feel like the last four years have brought out the people that support that mentality. And then there's a group of us that realize it should have always been equal. And now there's just this huge divide. And, and so we've got, we've got to, we, we've got to get it resolved and we actually truly have to get it resolved, not just brush it back under the carpet again. I know, and it's not like the news is coming at us like the good old days, just a small handful of TV channels or even before my time, like over the radio, but it's bombarding us at every level. You know, I feel it's coming from everywhere, fake news or otherwise. You know, it's not good that people are then, you know, obviously needing to be locked down to protect your health, whilst oddly that's imprisoning them to be sitting in front of toxic, depressing news more and more every day. That's surely not good for anyone. And it's hitting us from every direction. I mean, you know, it's... It's the same. I mean, religions do the same thing. You know, they put people in fear to get get you to believe their way of life or whatever. And um, so I just and, you know, we're at home, we're locked down. So people are spending more and more time on TV or Internet or whatever. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the social dilemma. So people are being fed what they you know, they get more of what they sign up for. So if you read something that, that is negative or critical or whatever, it's going to keep hitting you. And I think that's the, the same way with, um, I mean, that's like a metaphor for, for the energetic as well. Uh, you know, what you put out there is what comes back to you on an energetic frequency as well. So it's like, you know, if I put out fear and anger and hatred, I'm going to get more of that back at me. That's my belief anyway. And Marty, one of your first steps away from traditional Western medicine was to study Ayurveda. You know, I was intrigued as the only non-Ayurvedic student on the Kerala trip listening to what you were all talking about, you know, and hearing the doctors and the botanists, you know, list out the so many uses of the 1,400 or so plants we were shown in the nursery there. But what also intrigued me was that since returning and staying in contact with the women we were travelling with, 
that none of them have fully chosen to practice Ayurveda, you know, as their new modality when they got back to the States or Canada or anywhere else they came from. What was it like for you after your studies ended? Uh, you know, I think I was probably one of those that used it not to necessarily become a sole practitioner of Ayurveda, but just healthy lifestyle in general. And one of the problems for me in, in becoming an Ayurvedic practitioner is that in the States, it's not really accepted all that well. But with a medical degree, I was going to be held liable. So if I gave recommendations based upon this Ayurvedic approach, but they said, well, you're a medical doctor and that's not standard of care. You know, I talked to several people. It was, it was going to be a big issue for malpractice and so forth. And so, so that was a little bit of a deterrent. But even beyond that, I was never... I believe that the the plants and the herbs and so forth are extremely beneficial. And if we can get them in natural form, then great. What has tend to happen now is that these, you know, it's becoming popular and these nutraceutical companies are making these formulations. But when we were there and I was with Dr. J, you know, I watched, we, I went to a formulations making workshop with him and it, you know, it takes days to make a preparation. And so you can't just, you can't get everything out of that and put it in a pill um, that is mass produced and then put in a bottle and stored on a shelf for a long time. And so it, you know, it's, it's kind of being a westernized approach to Ayurveda again. So I'm not as big a fan as all of the supplements that are recommended and that, you know, like we saw, they were, they were picking the plant right at, you know, and then they were making this, you know, making the remedy. And that's a whole different game than, you know, making it in a big factory. And, and so, but, you know, there are a lot of things like the self-care um, that Ayurveda talks about, you know, um, and, and that involves everything from like your sleep. And, and you probably do this with coaching. You know, you have to talk about the sleep and you have to talk about the uh, getting out into nature and having fresh air and being one with nature, because I, I know like there is nothing in nature that is truly natural that would not be a benefit to someone at some time for some situation. Right. So, I mean, there's a plant that would help, you know, there's sunlight that would help. There's fresh air that would help. There's cold, there's, you know, uh, ice water, whatever, or hot water. You know, so everything that's naturally occurring would be beneficial in some situation for some person. And that's what I loved about Ayurveda. Uh, that's one of the things I loved about it. But it was just so common sense as far as we're all individual people. We have these different energies. We have different combinations of these energies. And then once you understand those energies, you can kind of start to work with, you know. So for people who don't know what Ayurveda is, you know, they have um, these three energetic body types, basically, um, and they're made up of the elements. And so if you think of it, you know, you think of what's called Vata, which is made up of like the earth or the ether and air. And you think of that, well, what are the characteristics of ether and air? You know, it's kind of flighty, um, you know, and so in our system, we see somebody who's a little bit flighty, they trout, maybe they used to travel a lot. And so they were from time zone to time zone, or, you know, they would really 
engage in something quickly, but then their attention would lose. You know, we might call them like ADHD or something. It's just that they're very quickly shifting like, like the air and the ethers. Um, and so to help them, we would give them something that would ground them a little bit. It made common sense and people could, if they could learn that about themselves, they could treat themselves um, with, with different things. So when you said flighty, is flighty the same as being always in your mind or flipping around in your thoughts? There's different energetic forces to play in the body and in the mind. So, um, so somebody that was, you know, I mean, people that are in the mind when they're really intense and that could be a pitta person too, like fire, fiery and intense, but somebody that's, um, very flighty, very, um, not focused. You would think maybe those, those are, that's an unbalanced Vata energy, right? I guess what we've taken more is the nutritional piece, the lifestyle pieces, the incorporation of natural, of nature just in general. I think my main takeaway from that journey to the roots of Ayurveda was it was so important um, to have the daily self-care rituals and routines, you know, from the time you wake up until bedtime. And it was so beautiful to actually understand it from that um, Ayurvedic or Indian perspective. So, yeah, it was an amazing eye-opener to me I've definitely continued with um self-care rituals you know, since then and incorporated it into the um, the work I do in coaching you know there's a there's a hospital in India that treats a lot of COVID patients and one of the things that was encouraged from an Ayurvedic perspective is the neti pot or sinus washes and so this hospital I read an article from them that they all of their providers do a neti pot a sinus wash basically before they go to work and before they go home. And at the time I read that article, they hadn't had any providers get COVID, even though they were treating COVID patients and they were a large hospital. It was, it was like over 1500 patient hospital. So it was a large hospital. Um, but yet this simple two minute routine kept them from getting, getting it. If that's the way we're exposed to it. Right. So it's just little stuff like that. So moving forward past your exploration of Ayurveda, if the world is in a place of fear or turmoil, what's the alternative? You know, is it is it a life of joy? I'm thinking about that. I'm like the book of joy. Have you ever read that book with uh, the Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu? And, you know, I from that book, I've kind of gotten the impression happiness and joy are not the same thing. Right. And so, yes, you won't be happy all the time. But joy to me is almost a, a choice that you can make. Um, even in bad times, because obviously those two gentlemen have had a lot of bad times in their lives, but they still choose to live in joy, a joyful life. So that would just be um, some something that came to mind when you made that comment. <laughs> so, and I, I've been told you can't anything you hope for is less likely to come because hoping in and of itself is what you're calling to you. You're you're calling the action of hoping, so you get to keep hoping. Versus, you know, saying I have this now and living from that place, just knowing that you you are just exactly where you need to be. Yeah, I get that. I'm thinking that the people you're working with now, they must align with your mixing the best of ancient medicine and wisdom with the work you're doing with energy and it's a little bit more forward focused and you know, science is backing that up. You did actually comment in the week leading up to our chat that more and more people are becoming convinced that they have more control over their own health. 
not simply the absence of disease, and that the Western approach, while appropriate at times, is less effective and more harmful than more ancient methods. So, Marty, you know, who are you working with and what are you doing in your day-to-day practice? You know, let's go to that area now. Well, when I work with, with the people, patients that I work with, um, I've started a couple things. There's, there's a system out there called NESS. Um, I do not know what that acronym stands for. I'm just going to say, but it's got to be like energetic systems. It's got to be, but what it is, is it's based upon what's called resonance matching. So our science has gotten to a point that we can, we can uh, monitor the frequency of basically everything, right? So you can say, oh, this is the radio wave. This is the frequency that that radio wave is on. But now they've applied that to cells you know our cells are energetic and they have a frequency and so a healthy liver cell or a healthy heart cell or healthy blood cell whatever emotions have them you know we've all seen the work the japanese scientists uh, with the water where you know they yell at that water and then they take pictures of it and they see that energetic change you know everything has been able to be measured and so in in the past that energetic frequency like in homeopathy What would happen is, you know, they would say, well, you have this virus or whatever. And so we want to give you this little tincture that has the energetic signature of that virus, but doesn't still have the virus in it. So they would start with a little vial that had virus and then they would dilute it hundreds of times until there was no longer any virus left in it. But the energetic signature of that virus was still in it. And then they would give you that and you take three or four drops of it or whatever. And it's effective for people. What Nest does is it actually sends in, you, you scan the body field and it sends in thousands of signals to your, and it looks to see if you are in resonance with that. So if I'm in resonance, what, what they send in to test my liver comes out in sync, right? So it's in sync with that. And so, okay, at that point, the field around your liver is healthy. And so, I mean, that's just a very simplistic way of trying to describe this. So then what they do instead of they program the tincture, instead of putting the virus in the tincture, they just program it because we can do that with our technology now. And under like 10,000 volts of electricity, they imprint that water or the tincture, the solution that it's in, they imprint that with a healthy signal. So say, for instance, you know, my scan shows that I have anger issues, right? They will imprint that with, you know, they may recommend to me that I take uh, something that's been imprinted with a peace or with a calmness or with some other type of energy frequency that then gets into my body and I can use as a scaffolding to create that myself. Or if you say somebody has, and I people are just amazed at what the scan shows because they're like, how did they know that? It's not like I ask a ton of questions anymore. And so, you know, they'll get scanned. It takes about 20 seconds. It's like nothing. And it can be done remotely. And then I get this huge report of all these different um, over 400 points that are, that are tried to match resonance wise at this point. And then when that comes back, we talk about it and we talk about what that might imply or whatever. And a lot of times they'll be amazed that it picked something up that, you know, they hadn't even shared with anybody or was very subtle. We use the, what they call emphaceuticals, which is this imprinted with a healthy 
old homeopathy tried to make your body react. So if you had a viral infection, I want to make you react so your body fights it. This is actually saying, I want to give you the healthy signal so that your other cells can kind of take over and heal themselves like they're intended to do. It's very interesting, but it's it's almost like a metronome, you know, like, you know how like when you see the metronome and one one is out of sync, but then when you send the right one in, they all start lining up. And that's what they found has happened with, with cells in the body, you know, and obviously that's what a cancer cell typically, you know, they say we all have cancer numerous times a day, right? Because, but our body will tend to recognize it and then shut it down and it will make that cell conform to the rest of the way that it's supposed to behave. But once it gets momentum and there's a lot of cancer cells that are now controlling the environment more so than the healthy cells, that's when it gets out of control and and no longer can be treated in the same way. Gosh, so comprehensive. When you say remote, seeing it's about scanning of the body, do you mean I can have the scan done even here at home in Australia and you get the report to talk over with me from Denver? Yeah, there's a there's a couple devices. Um, one is a, what's just a scanner. It literally looks like a mouse that you use for your computer. So you just put your hand, and, and I've had it where, depending how I'm feeling, I can get my hand close to it, and it will pick up my, bio, my body field, my biofield, um, and it'll scan me. Other times, you know, you actually touch it. No big deal. Most people, I just tell to put their hand on it gently like they were going to do their mouse. And then it scans them. They they have the software and it uploads it to my account so that I can look at it. And then we can have a, a meeting like this. Wow, I love it. I'm also loving hearing the shift in the tone of your voice. You're very clearly passionate about doing this type of work. How long have you been doing it for now? Uh, I have been almost a year now. Yeah, almost a year. All of what you've been before and delivering that with the sort of new mix of modalities, what an absolute valuable consultation that would be to anyone anywhere. Well done. Mm, It really sounds like a culmination of all those years of education and experience in medicine capped off with these new modalities and your, your passion for ongoing continuous education. Yeah, I feel like it is. I mean, I know that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten into, I wouldn't have probably gotten into Ayurveda if I hadn't, been needing to get CME for my medical, as I've gotten more and more into the spiritual side of things, I've gone into the quantum, you know, the the quantum physics, um, which helps me appreciate even more uh, the awe-inspiring. I'm going to let a dog out. So, Oh, who is your four-legged friend? I've heard her jingling there on and off. She's been very patient with us, hasn't she? Her name's Breck. She'll go find her daddy. <laughs> I don't know whether you've listened to it yet, but you know, in episode 28, you know, a few weeks back, my guest Bex Weller of Sexy Sobriety and I briefly touched on Louise Hayes' Heal Your Body and the mental causes for physical illness, you know, particularly that holding on to secrets causes sickness. I'm wondering, Marty, do you have any thoughts or experience of what Louise shared? And is it something that comes up in the work that you're doing now with energy? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's different. What I do think is the science is starting to support it. So now we're having some technology that is allowing us to, you know, to pick up on some of this stuff. So while she was ahead of her time, you know, and if you read her story, I mean, she had a, 
she had a tough, tough run, um, but she definitely influenced people in a good way. But, you know, she didn't have the technology available to see, well, this energetic frequency that you're carrying in, in guilt or shame or regret or whatever those are, she didn't have the technology to show those or to see that, but she knew that it was an unhealthy frequency and that the only way to, to counterbalance that, you know, was to make the choice to counterbalance it, right? So Louise would say in her book, here is the physical illness or symptom of the body and therefore here are the possible mental causes of that illness or symptom. You know, it could be fears or whatnot. And Louise would recommend a positive affirmation or set of words to say to alleviate them. Is that the right take on what she recommended would heal your body? That's essentially what she would encourage people to do. I mean, what, you know, and uh, again, like Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton, biology of belief or you are supernatural, becoming supernatural, those types of books, they're basically saying the same thing. But what's happened is science has supported that when I am feeling frustrated or when I tell myself that I'm not worthy or when I, you know, beat myself up, be very super critical, the chemicals in my body are not conducive to health because we can measure all of those chemicals. We've labeled them now and we can measure them. We know the difference between what gets released in your body when you have a positive thought and what gets released in your body when you have a negative thought. Moreover, what research is showing is that 95% of the time we're dealing with this subconscious unconscious patterning that we've developed from the time we were born. While you say, I am going to heal myself, when you're having that conscious thought and you're thinking about it, the thoughts that are going on in the background that are playing, you know, like your computer that play in the background to make it run are saying, you know, who am I to think this, you know, this is, I've always thought this way. I've always done this. I've always speeding you conscious, uh, subconscious thoughts all the time. And they're more powerful than that little 5% that's telling you, you know, I can do this. So what people have to do and what the affirmations do is make you more aware of what, when you break those 95% of patterns, right? So they make you, that's meditation does that as well. It makes you aware of that thought that you're having. And then do you have to believe it? No, you know, cause it's probably not true. I mean, whoever told you, you know, if somebody told you you were stupid as a child, well, who gave them the authority to tell you that? And, and do I need to continue to believe that? And, and so she basically was telling us to do the same type of thing before she had any technology to say, okay, look, this is the frequency that your body's putting out right now. You know, it's, it's telling, it's a negative frequency. And how are we going to correct that? Call me a creative thinker or visual, but I'm just imagining the lightness, you know, if everyone got a chance to collectively just spill out all of their secrets, all of their concerns, all of their fears, it'd be almost like planet Earth would start bouncing around like one of those bouncy balls around the universe, you know, with the lightness just from that alone. It'd be so nice if everyone could let go of all those thoughts that caused them stress. Be a happier place for sure. Yeah, it would definitely lighten things up. It's pretty amazing. But yeah, so the secrets too, they could even be secrets that people don't even realize they have, you know? I mean, it's like buried so deeply. Their defense mechanisms protected them so well that they, if they don't really put the effort in, they're not going to go down and find them. Marty, we're coming close to the end now. And I just want to make sure we include some of the questions you contemplated about you outside of this work that you're doing. 
So the first one would be is if you had a magic wand, what would you change immediately to make the world a better place? Well, when I read that, the very first thing was the, the illusion of separateness or different, you know, the, the illusion that just because you're from a different location or you have a different skin color or a different religion or whatever, that you're different and therefore not worthy of my respect or my honor or whatever. So I think if, if I could get the world to see that we're all the same and that what you do affects you, but it also affects me and vice versa. Um, that, that would be it. Okay. So writing a note to self, send Marty a magic wand. She'll make very good use of it. What would be the most valuable advice you could give seven-year-old you that you wish you'd been received yourself from your own mum when you were seven? That would have to do with mistakes uh, because I think, you know, we've all been, brought up to believe mistakes are bad and don't make them. And if you make them, try to hide them or whatever, you know? Um, and I just, I don't think that's a very healthy way to live. Uh, I think that mistakes are how we grow that if you're not making a mistake, you're, you're not pushing yourself to learn something new or to present the truth of who you are. Right. I just think, uh, I think it's Wayne Dyer says, you know, mistakes don't define you. They reveal you you know, how you react to them. So I, I was always pretty afraid to make any mistakes. Um, and I was always, I didn't want to try something unless I felt pretty confident I was going to succeed at it, you know, and I just think that limits, limits experiences. Oh, Marty, you seem pretty much like a role model to me and you're taking that leap of faith and you're taking steps forward with care. Marty, what's one ritual or routine you would never go without doing every day? Meditation. So I, I started meditating, oh gosh, 10 years ago or so now. And uh, I don't always have like this super deep, you know, hour long meditation session where I come out enlightened. A lot, sometimes I come out of my meditations angry. There's no perfect way to meditate. And that's what I think keeps people from it. But for me, even the potential of having a, a, that deep moment will keep me coming back to it. It's kind of like golfers, you know, they always come back for that one perfect shot, even though they only have the one perfect shot very rarely, if ever, but there's always the potential that it'll be there. But yeah, just the opportunity to sit quietly and observe my thoughts, not stop my thoughts, because I can't do that, but to just observe them and to ask myself if I believe them um, you know, why would I believe them if I do, or if I, if I've signed on to believe them, why, and where do they come from and who put them there? And, uh, you know, it may just be a, um, five, 10 minute breath work. It may be a, a true sit down 30 minutes or better, you know, opportunity or, you know, I've gone to a couple of meditation retreats where we've meditated for like six hours a day, not all at one time, obviously, but you know, you'll have a sunrise and it's just, you, you just um, learn a lot about yourself. Mm, I totally get that. I couldn't imagine doing a day without meditation either. It's such a, a beautiful practice. Even if you can't get it right, just take that, you know, 20 minutes to lie or sit peacefully. I think that's a benefit in itself just to breathe. Um, here's another one just about you. What are the top three things you love to do outside of the work that you do? Every, I mean, I love everything outside, which is why Colorado is a beautiful place to be. Um, so we hike and we bike and I rock climb and snowboard and I just love everything out there. Um, I love to learn. 
So that doesn't really take me outside of this, but I love to learn almost anything. So, um, you know, and, and with the internet, you can always learn whatever you choose to learn. And then I spend, uh, I love my, I love family time. I'm extremely blessed with, uh, with parents that I enjoy to be around and kids I enjoy to be around and a spouse I enjoy to be around. So it's not like I have to avoid it. Not all the time. Obviously I can let them be away from me for a while, but, but yeah, so I would say family and nature and, and uh, learning are my three big hobbies. Fast forward along your timeline now. So look forward to when you're planning your 90th birthday party. What three things would you like to think your three favorite people in the world will say that you achieved in this one precious life that you're still living? One would be that I lived it, you know, that I lived, I, I knew my truth and I lived my truth. Want to be, I hope to be seen. I hope is there again, but hope to be seen as somebody who is uh, very compassionate and loving and inclusive that served, served humanity, left it a better place. Hopefully, hopefully we're, we're celebrating a life well lived and, and a recognition of a transformation of energy. I have no doubt. I imagine that's what you're going to do for sure. Hey, um, what is your favorite mantra or quote that gets you by in hard times? You know, there's so many amazing quotes out there that I love. Um, and to come up with one is hard. I do tell, this is when I told my daughters when we were, so it wasn't from someone else, but it was ours. And, you know, I would always say when you'd get that from your kids that life's not fair, I would always say, you know, if life were fair, we'd have a lot less. And it wasn't from a perspective of, you know, let's have a lot of material things. But it was just from the perspective of gratitude that we have all of these things we take for granted. You know, we have our health. We have shelter. We have food. We have warmth. We have love. We have all of these things that we take for granted. That would be it. And lucky last, do you have a song that's your favorite sing out loud song or something that really um, resonates really well with you even right now? Honestly, if you haven't heard the song from Josh Wilson that is called Revolutionary um, right now, it is just so fitting for our times and for, well, for all times, I know, but um, it seems like it talks about, you know, how we're not different and when did kindness become revolutionary and when did hatred become so ordinary, but it's just a, a nice thought provoking song. And then one that I do sing to that I don't sing too well all the time is um, I can only imagine because I just, I think when my physical body is gone and I am solely energetic and I am in that embrace. So for a lot of people, that song I, uh, is when, you know, we meet Jesus face to face. For me, it's more of that energetic hug you hear people that have had near-death experiences where they just feel like they're embraced by this unconditional love and it's obviously not a physical embrace it's that energy embracement embracing them so to me i just yeah when this life when this life is over i i just that feeling is just hard to imagine isn't it just incredible what a song can bring up for you you know to even ponder that out into your future how beautiful and what a nice way to end our chat marty thank you so much for sharing your before and after of your career path change 
I know many listeners are contemplating doing the same and, you know, maybe unsure of whether they can take that leap of faith to work in something they're more passionate about. I mean, you did it at the age of 50, so, or just before you turned 50, and look where you're going. So it's just amazing to see what you and other people I've met on this podcast are doing and delivering in the world now as, as being themselves, I think, is probably the most important thing. So thanks, Marty. Well, thank you. Again, thank you for even thinking of me for this. I mean, that was that was quite an honor anyway, but you're doing you're doing it. You're making the world a better place by putting messages out there that people can hear and hopefully they resonate with and and find out more about. Yeah. That's that's what that's what we're here for. Thanks, Susan. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to hear Marty's story today and maybe last week's episode as well. The first chat about Marty's dot-to-dot of her life up until the time she retired from medicine has more of a smooth Denver kind of feel to me. It sounds a bit like Marty's very um, smooth and calm in, in all manners of things. So I, I can't picture that her dot-to-dot um, moving forward is going to be any kind of jagged sort of dot-to-dot. She already knows deep down inside where she's going and she's just taking steps every day to make it all a reality. Have you ever explored your life map before today? you know, stop to contemplate the significance of roads that were taken or roads that were missed, um, you know, the necessary detours along the way. All those lessons that you've learned, you know, as Marty said, it's all the mistakes too that add up that are the important things to acknowledge. So you know, even put them out on the table sometimes and say, I acknowledge this mistake I made. Hmm, what's that lesson from that? And, you know, it's a good way too to put some things to bed once and for all and just leave it behind you. I think it is very important um, to leave things behind you as you move through, um, take the good from it and then, you know, put it to bed. I'll leave you to the rest of your day and I really appreciate your tuning into the episodes or even just one episode that you found interesting and helpful. I'd love to hear any key takeaways that you have at any time. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, All my details are here, my email and um, my phone numbers on Facebook and on the website. So until next episode, take care. Thank you.